Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 239 of The Freelancer Show. On our panel this week, we have Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. And I am the other 50% of the panel. I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we are going to be talking about preparing an online course. Um, so, Philip, why, why, why don't you start? Like, what courses have you offered? What have you done? And what are you doing that's new now that you're sort of prepping for? Yeah, I um, I want to say 10 seconds worth of context, which is uh, I think this matters to freelancers because, at least for me, one of the biggest changes I've made to my business that I would recommend to others <laughs> is uh, adding low price products to the mix. I think that um, when you're not 100% reliant on services, it really frees you up to be more selective about who your clients are and... Um, I mean, there's just nothing like waking up in the morning and looking at your phone and seeing that you made money while you were sleeping. So even if you're just all in on services, I think it's it, there's some benefits to adding products to the mix. And of course, courses are one, one way to do that. I'm building a course on positioning called The Positioning Course. <laughs> so I have a book on positioning called The Positioning Manual. And I wanted to build a course because uh, I think I can make a lot of money doing it. Uh, not really, no. Um, although I hope, I hope that it's a strong source of revenue. I really feel like, um, like I, for me, I've I've kind of identified what the next five or ten years of my business are going to be about. And when you think of it about it like a mission, it's it's helping people who are self-employed software developers transition from um, some kind of generalist who's not happy being a generalist into a specialist type of market position. So um, I felt like one, there, there is a real need for more um, structure and support than my book provide, provides. So um, those two words actually do mean something. They're not just like meaningless uh, course words. Uh, structure is do this first, then do that next. And compared to my book on positioning, the book has a little bit of that, but it's also a little more of a ref, like a reference manual or like a, here's everything you might need to know about positioning condensed into uh, about 20,000 words. So that's the structure piece that is not so much a part of a book. And when you're doing something uh, more like a course, you have an opportunity, I think, to, to have more structure. The support piece is, Philip, I'm stuck. What do I do? <laughs> and and that's also not really a part of my book, except that I've always had the policy of if somebody is willing to put a question in an email, I will do my best to answer that question. So, um, you know, I've had that, but I've thought this this positioning thing is not easy stuff. How can I add more support? And I thought, well, if I could charge a higher price, I could... Um, open up some time that people on my calendar for people to book little 15 minute uh, support calls, which I call lightning coaching sessions. And I could, uh, I could be available through a Slack chat room for, you know, those sort of asynchronous questions that happen on the fly. So um, that's why I wanted to build a course. And as soon as I said, okay, this seems like a good enough reason to build a course, uh, to, to offer these additional things that are not just a book, you know, 
put into a, a learning management system online, which I feel like there's some courses out there are just that. They're just, you know, book-like content dropped into an LMS without any additional structure and support. Uh, so after I decided to do that, then I had to answer a ton of questions that I had. It was a completely unprepared to answer, like, how exactly do you do this? So that's background. Uh, that's why I'm in the process now of building a course called the Position Course. Hey, everybody. This is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Comp. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out at jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. Ruben, what about you? What are, you, you mentioned before we hit the record button that you're also considering building a course. Yeah, so, so I mean, I've been doing training, as we know, for, for a while. Um, and I was actually adamantly opposed to doing some sort of recorded online course. I've said for a while that the big deal with learning is interactions and interactions between, like among the participants, like the students, and also between the students and the instructor. And so I really shied away from, or was even opposed to the idea of recording myself doing some sort of course. So I said, well, you know, maybe I could do some live courses online, but I see that scheduling that and launching that and until I get around to it, and then it's a one-off thing. And what topic do I do and so on and so forth. So that plus, um, I, I maxed out in terms of time, right? Like there, there's a limit as to how many places I can travel and how many people I can reach and how many people I can teach. And I know that, especially in the case of Python, like the the um, the appetite is more or less un unquenchable at this point. Uh, I mean, which is great for my career, uh, but it means that I'm constantly either turning people down or saying, "Well, sure, I'm happy to talk to you. How's six months from now?" At which point they sort of shrug or laugh or cry or just find someone else. <laughs> right. So um, I basically, over the last year, came to the conclusion that I need to record a course. But I need to find the balance between recording myself and having those interactions so that I'll feel like I'm not just throwing people the wolves, here you go, here's some recordings, go for it. Um, and have some of that give and take that, that I think makes, makes a, an interactive course special. So, um, I can, and also, I know that doing video takes a long time. Recording yourself doing video takes a long time because I've done two books, each of which has 50 videos. So my Python book, which had 50 videos, it took me probably about a year to finish. And the regular expression books videos should be done with the next week or two, given my current pace. Um, and it just takes a long time to do it. So I kept saying, well, I'll get around to doing the course when I have chance. And that chance just sort of kept slipping away more and more and more. Um, at the same time, the good news is that this, the course that I want to teach, my intro Python course, is one that I've taught probably 100, 150 times at this point. And so I know the material. I know how to present it. I know what I want to say. And it's more or less a matter of me sitting down figure out how I want to structure it online versus in person, and then just recording and trying to go as quickly as possible through the material and then the exercises and then figure out that balance. So my plan is basically, we're now recording in uh, late January, is sometime about a month from now, in mid to late February, to take a week 
and not go to clients, like block that time off, which I've done my calendar already, not go to clients and record as much as possible to, to get this thing launched. Now, that said, like saying, oh, I want to create a course to record myself online, there are so many variables. And one, one of the variables that I'm considering as well, my intro Python course is four days long. Maybe I shouldn't make it one course. Maybe I should make it two or three, each of which has a specific topic. So someone who wants to learn about one thing doesn't have to pay for the whole thing. And sort of the other way around is maybe someone who wants to learn everything will end up paying more. So it's like more, more money in my pocket. So I'm still struggling with some of that. In terms of the interactions, I've basically decided I'm going to try one or two different things. One is to have, as you said, either Slack channel or forum. I, I, I really like discuss a lot. Um, uh, discourse, discourse a lot. Um, and the other thing might be to have like monthly office hours. Come and talk to me about whatever's in the course. And that combination, it's not going to be the same, but it might be closer. So that's basically my thought at this point. And if it works out, then what I might do is basically convert all of my in-person courses to these sorts of online courses. Yeah, you mentioned something that resonated with me, which was this idea that at a, at a certain point, I can't do more of the same thing that, that I'm doing to help people in a more high-touch way. So, I mean, I can sell as, as many, I can sell an infinite number of books. Although I do have to say that uh, uh, a couple of weeks back, I, I joked to my email <laughs> list that I was out of out of stock on the books, and that was kind of a setup for um, using that email to not pitch my book. But did, did anyone, <laughs> by the way, like write to you and ask what the heck was going on? Well, it was it was a part of a an even more kind of zany um, thing where I was asking about advice for man boobs. So um, I. Uh, I got more, way more attention on that part of the email, but one person was like, how can you be out of stock on, on a digital book? <laughs> so at least one person uh, caught the joke uh, and said something about it. Anyway, uh, I could sell an infinite number of books, but um, the, the more high touch ways of helping people uh, are sort of non-linearly scalable or they're just at a certain point, they're not scalable. Like they, I just can't have an infinite number of appointments on my calendar, can't respond to an infinite number of emails. So for me, the way that I've approached that has always been, how, how can I look at helping a group of people? And, and the sort of middle ground. So on the one hand, that's like, okay, I can do workshops. And I've done that. I've, I've done online workshops where I'll, for a week or two on my email list, I will say, I'll kind of switch the conversation to talk about the workshop and, and then I'll basically use that as a way to say, okay, the workshop begins on this date, it runs on these dates and you know, here's where you sign up and here's how much it costs. So that's one way that I found to sort of scalably help a larger group of people than just, uh, just the sort of no touch version of the book. Um, but again, the thing you said, the thing you said, Ruben, that resonated with me is this idea of like, well, you don't have unlimited time. So how can you scale your ability to create the kind of educational results or learning outcome that you're trying to create? And in my case, it's, I want to help people change their business so that it, it's more successful for them and it's, it better fits their preferences. So of course seemed like a really, uh, like a, like a way to do that. Um, and that's, that's also one of the things I wanted to touch on about why I did that. Okay. So what, what are you, 
so, so look, you have a, a ton of material that you probably have come up with over the you know over the years dealing with the idea of positioning. So how do you decide what will go in and what will stay out of this course that you're producing? One thing I had to do is get some outside help on that. Um, and, and it was sort of this really interesting um, uh, push and pull, I guess. Uh, on the one hand, I, I, I've been somewhat successful with shipping products that are very minimal, that are, um, you know, less sort of robust and less complete than part of me would like to see them be. And I think that's one of the skills that is really beneficial once you enter that world of doing any kind of product is being able to say, okay, this, you know, there's a sort of famous uh, saying, I think Reed Hoffman, the LinkedIn guy said, if, you, if your first version is not embarrassing, you waited too long to ship it. It's that, that kind of idea. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you can take that too far and ship something that's, you know, just broken or has very little value. But th there is this sort of uncomfortable zone where it's probably ready to ship. It's probably going to produce a lot of value, but all the flaws are really glaring to you. So on the one hand, I was like, well, I could do a course like that. Um, but on the other hand, I felt like what that kind of course might be is something that might not translate to the real world and actually produce change in people's business. And what I mean is I could, I could tell you uh, a, a great process for moving from a generalist to someone who has a positioning statement, literally some words on a sheet of digital paper or physical paper that say, you know, I'm a uh, web developer for cosmetic dentists. That sounds like a very simple transformation, but there's so much that goes into it. There's so much kind of emotional angst that you have to get through. There's a fair bit of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty about, okay, what would that sort of change mean for my business? So even just that level of transformation takes a lot of work for most people. And, and I could certainly produce a course that gets you there. But then I started thinking, uh, especially with some help from, uh, from Janelle Allen, who specializes in helping people design better online training, better e-learning. Um, she sort of forced me to ask the question, well, how is that going to change somebody's business? <laughs> and the answer is, for some people it will just because of the sort of mindset shift, but for other people it won't change it enough and they need these other components about a website message that they can implement on their website. So that's, um, that's one of the first things that I had to arrive at, at in terms of a decision about how to do this course is like, what's the outcome? What result can people see and sort of hold in their hands, if only metaphorically that says, okay, the journey is for at least the journey that this course is designed to create is over. And, um, I mean, it, it took a kind of surprisingly long amount of time for me to get through all those considerations to arrive at the point where I could say, okay, this is the first milepost. This is what I want people to get to. Not just that they have a positioning statement, but that, that they also have this, um, you know, basically a, a draft of a new website that they could use to start marketing themselves. So in your case, Ruben, sure. you, you talked yeah. about having like this, um, was it a four day course or 
four yeah, parts. Yeah, it's a four-day course. Right, and I would I would say one of the questions you may have to answer is, are all four days necessary to get to a meaningful outcome, a meaningful milepost, or is there something in there that could be, you could break it up and they're, they're sort of smaller courses that each have their own meaningful outcome? So it's interesting you say that because I, I mean, um, one of what I think is like one of my big marketing wins over the last year or so is I had a lot of people coming to this intro four-day course who had no programming background at all, and they would get very frustrated uh, because it was just way too too hard for them. Um, and so I started offering what I call Python for non-programmers. And most of those people actually did take a programming course at some point, like you know, back in college 10 right. years ago, 20 years ago. Right. But they've forgotten everything, and they, they haven't dealt with it in so long. They might as well be non-programmers. And that course has been extremely successful, actually. Uh, and what I want to say is also that course is basically half of my regular intro course. Mm. Um, I just sort of leave out half of the topics and people are pretty much okay with it. Mm. Um, so I could probably offer like, you know, a two part course. And by the way, the, the non-programmers course is also four days. It's just way more exercises, way more explanations. And also I give them more time to do, uh, exercises. Mm -hmm. Right, because and they're often often struggling with a lot of things that um, in the regular course people don't struggle with. Like they they don't ask questions like why do I need quotes around text as opposed to variable names? Mm. Things that are totally totally legitimate questions. Just someone with any program experience won't won't ask it. Um, so I can imagine taking the course and sort of dividing it into like basics and more advanced stuff. But then I think yeah, but the, the experienced programmers are going to get really annoyed with all these sort of very slow explanations and um, exercises. Hmm. So that takes me back to, well, maybe then what I should be doing is, um, you know, dividing it up just by topic and saying, okay, well, out of the four days, I have you know, three, four basic topics, five basic topics I cover, put each of them into a separate course because I think each of them is necessary if you want to be an intro Python programmer, but you might like want to take it slowly but surely, or some of the stuff might be more important than others. Or you might just say, you know, this functional programming stuff, um, it's hard. I've heard it's hard. I'm just going to put off, put it off till later. Um, so I'm leaning toward breaking it up, even though I think someone to really sort of function in a Python working environment would need all, all day's worth. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's also this question of, sure, I mean, I, I think, there's two aspects of breaking it up. It's like, how do you, um, how do you divide up the, the content of your course so that it's not this overwhelming, uh, watch this three hour video <laughs> and you know, don't even take a bathroom break during the middle because you need to see it all in one go. There's like, like that aspect of presenting and formatting the content. And then there's the, to me, the, this almost more fundamental question at this point in terms of how you design the course of it's almost like what's the minimum level of improvement that is a successful outcome for people when I, when I work with Janelle she um, she interviewed some people in my audience who who I said okay, I, I introduced her to people and said I think that this might be someone who kind of has a good representative viewpoint on on this whole process so that may be something that you might try Reuven is just maybe circle back to people who've taken your courses in the past and 
and try to find out like if they can identify, I don't, I don't even know how to do this, but I feel like the, the, what you're trying to do is try to identify what was for them the point where they started to feel like they had made the transformation they wanted or started to become successful or started to taste some of the results that they hoped for. Right. I mean, I, 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 I even think that I've noticed that to some degree mm-hmm. because it's around like day three that okay. suddenly the, the sort of the, the threads come together. People say, oh, now I see where we're going with this. Now I see that uh-huh. I can actually do interesting, important stuff with this. Because what will typically happen is in most programming courses, within the first few hours, you're writing functions. Uh-huh. Um, and in my course, you start writing functions day two at the end. Um, and before okay. that, you're basically like using the built-in functions, using the built-in methods because they're powerful and because I want to sort of train people to use them as much as possible to understand the power that comes with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of experienced programmers see this as, what are we doing? This is like baby steps. you got to mm-hmm. be kidding me. Right. And then like later on, they say, oh, okay, we get it. This is actually really useful and powerful. Um, so I think it does take that time to actually happen. But when it does happen, it is a, a very powerful sort of statement. It, uh, so I think that you really are. Uh, here's what I was trying to do secretly is, is to help you um, see if there was an, op- uh, an opportunity to design, a, a create, to build a f- much smaller first course than you thought. <laughs> and the reason I'm doing this is that I yeah. am in the middle of, uh, so I, what I did is I, I pre-sold uh, my course. So I... <sighs> I, uh, I, I did sold this only through email. Like there is a sales page, but it's not even listed on my website. Um, I, uh, so I, I found a segment of my email list that I, I think it was maybe 140 people that I thought would be a good sort of first batch to, uh, to get this out in the world. Right. And I, I pre-sold it to them. So I, I sent them emails for two weeks describing every aspect of the course providing proof that I'm not an idiot, um, that I know what I'm talking about with this stuff and, you know, answering, uh, what I thought the objections would be. And just, again, just like two weeks of emails about this. And, um, I, so what I sell 20, 21, I think 21 people responded and said, yeah, I'll buy this thing that doesn't even exist yet for a greatly reduced price. And, um, and so that's sort of my first cohort, right? And I've got some interesting stuff to tell you about how I'm delivering the content, which I think you'll find interesting. But I, so I'm still building the course and, um, and it's, it's that constant struggle between, I want this to be awesome. I want this to be the best thing it can be on the one hand. And uh, something I heard, um, the guy who is the product lead at Microsoft for the Hyper-V product say once, Shipping is a feature too. <laughs> yes. So, yes. You know, it's that struggle between how can I add more features? How can I make it better? How can I have less bugs? And oh, how can I also hit a ship date? <laughs> so for sure. I mean, I've told people for a while now that um, every year I remove content from my courses, especially the intro Python course. And I add exercises and context and every year people come way happier. Right. So, so definitely that. The other thing is, I mean, you mentioned before, like, you know, recording a, um, you know, a lecture for several hours. I think back when I was thinking about doing online courses, that's what I really thought people did. 
And maybe there are people who do that, and maybe they can hold your attention. But oh my God, I, I think um, I, I can imagine people wanting to do that. I mean, I see people turn off when I'm teaching them in person for crying out loud. Um, so what I'm definitely trying to going to plan to do is uh, what I've seen in the online courses and lectures that I've started looking at, both to learn things myself and to sort of gain some uh, insights, which is break it up in like five, 10 minute segments. And so you talk for something, maybe 10 minutes and you give an exercise, or even if it's just another lecture, right? 10 minutes, take a little break, 10 minutes. So the person has to press or it has to move on, but you don't just sort of go on and on and on. I did it. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. So I, um, again, I, I had done a workshop version of this course. I, I, I'm on Paul Jarvis's email list and he, at some point was like, here's how you, here's how you build a course or here's how you do it. If you do it the way oh, I did it. Yeah. And, uh, that was, um, that email really, uh, sort of made an impact on me because I was like, well, um, he, he was proposing doing it a little differently than I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to build a course, get it out there. He said, do, uh, go through the course material, uh, as a workshop, like a, a live workshop with live people on the, on the other end of the internet and, uh, do it that way first to kind of work out the kinks. So I did, and I'm really glad I did. Now that I'm translating this to, there's a combination of video content and then some other components that I'll mention in a little bit. I, I really took that idea to heart of breaking, trying to break the videos up into little five minute chunks if possible. And what's funny is, uh, again, a little bit under the gun here in terms of getting this shipped. So I took my slide deck that was like a uh, 75 minute lecture and then just went through it and broke it up and put little slides saying, okay, this stop video number one here and start video number two. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did my best to make them what I thought would be five minute segments. And then I went there and recorded them. And one of them was like 20 minutes. Uh, right. It's very it, easy to lose track of how long you're lecturing for. Yeah, exactly. And I have, I mean, I have real experience. I have like, six years of experience doing, you know, classroom training back when I started my career in the nineties as, right. as a Microsoft trainer, as a tech trainer. And so I'm, I'm not a newbie to this stuff, but even so it was just surprisingly easy to, um, to, and I'm not sure I could have gotten it down to five minutes. It's just that the part where I, I sort of screwed up was chopping up the slide deck, not really doing the lecture. I think that I kept the lecture pretty tight, moving along pretty well. But that's something that's just a small thing that uh, I, I guess might be an actionable thing for people is, uh, you know, practicing your lectures. I, I chose to not do that because I've given the lecture so many times live. And I think I did a, did a great job with the video other than just the, the chunking of the content. So that was kind of funny to me how off I was on a few of those. You mentioned a slide deck. So, I mean, I, over the last year or so, have moved from using slides sometimes to using slides almost not at all. I send them to my students before the course, or if I really make a lot of changes, then each day. But um, but for the most part, I just do live coding and discussion. So the slides are sort of for them as reference when they're doing exercises, or for them as reference, you know, while I'm talking. 
But do you actually show that? Because in online course, like A, do you show your slides, and then B, how, given that there's limited screen real estate for you and your slides and whatever you're showing them? Although yeah. I guess you're not coding, so there's less to show. Yeah, no, I thought about this a lot. I mean, as regular listeners to the show will probably notice, I have a ton of echo in the background now and some street noise because I've moved into my office space, which I'm excited about. But um, when I when I recorded the videos for the first module of the position course, which is all I've I've got released yet, I I was sort of feeling like ah, you know, I've got this. I was in my home office, which ironically is maybe a better recording environment because it's quieter and less echo. But at the same time, I was a little not, not feeling great about like the background that would be behind me in the video. And the, the video camera setup was not ideal. It's not at eye level there. What I have now is much better in some ways, but so I was kind of like, well, just, I think that's what you're talking about is the ideal where it's sort of you talking and being animated and interesting and then as needed you're calling people's attention to something that's a code sample or live coding like you're talking about in my case i don't have i'm not working with code so it would be like let me show you this website that's an example of this type of market position or um you know let me show you this this other thing that's, that's a good example that's what i'd like to get to but i felt like the best trade-off for me was a slide deck I, I, I think they can be a real crutch. I think they can be not good, but in my case, I think it was the best, it was sort of the best compromise for where all the factors that I had to take into account. But I would definitely mm. say if, you know, if, if you're sort of relying on a slide deck to make the presentation more interesting and my slides are super boring, white background with text. And, and I do have, hey, my, you saw <laughs> my style. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I do have this one visual that I think is pretty important, but I could easily bring that up. Just, you know, it doesn't have to be in a slide deck or I could just bring up the slide deck for that, for that one time that I'm talking about that visual. So yeah, it, it's, it's definitely worth thinking about. I don't think there's any one right thing. And some people are just like, would you really want to look at a picture of somebody talking into a webcam for even five minutes? It, it kind of depends on the, the person's level of experience, but that's what I did in my case. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Okay, so so presumably you're, you're doing, you're, you like plan out what you want to teach and what order. You have these videos. And then, I mean, I know in your book, and this is, I think yours was the first book I saw this in. And I was really impressed. You have exercises. I was like, exercises in a book? Like, obviously, I've seen them in, like, you know, textbooks before. But not in a professional book I've gotten. And I think also, like, you would, I think there were links that you could go online and, like, fill out, uh, th right. fill things out. Worksheets, So are yeah. you doing that also? Yeah, that was that was amazing. I really like that. So there's 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 two things that I have 
uh, combined with the videos because that was the other thing where I was like, I am not just no way am I going to take anybody's money and deliver only some videos of me talking. Uh, it doesn't matter how good or awesome the slide deck is or how scintillating my, uh, you know, screen presence is. I, that's just not enough. So mm -hmm. that was another, for me, a big sort of stumbling block is like, well, what do you do above and beyond that, that actually creates the result that you're trying to get, help people achieve. And, um, so one thing was, of course, these exercises, which really are evolutions of what has come out of what I did in my book, um, which was really to provide some worksheets to help people kind of inventory things. And so it was an evolution of that, which really got evolved by doing a fair bit of live teaching. I mean, I guess if there's mm -hmm. one thing I would, I would say is before anybody records a course, they should probably be required by law <laughs> to teach it live so that they get some, you know, some more meaningful feedback than just their own ideas about what's good. So again, some of those exercises, some of those worksheets had kind of evolved through doing live teaching. And then the other thing came, I, I was listening to this interview with uh, Jim Camp, who I think has passed away now, but he, he's written two books on negotiation, uh, one of which will be my pick this week. Um, and he was describing his, uh, his paid coaching program, which people can, if they want to get better at negotiation, they can join. I don't know if it's still around since he's passed away. I, I think it is. His company is, is still around. Um, <clears throat> and it just, it had this sort of jewel of insight. And he, so he described how when someone joined, joined his coaching program, they have two tracks. They have an academic track and a, and a practical track for learning negotiation. And academic is sort of like, well, here's what you need to know. And then the other practical track is more uh, here's how you're going to apply this and here's how you're going to practice it. Hmm. So, um, the, the big insight for me was he, he has assessments on, I think the academic track and there's an assessment before you're exposed to the content, which kind of helps figure out what your baseline is. And then there's, uh, then you, so you take this test he said it takes like 20 minutes. It's in, in the, the case of his stuff, it's a simulated uh, negotiation situation that's delivered like through some kind of e-learning software. Okay. And you find out what your score is and you're like, great, look, I scored a, you know, a C on this or I scored a 76 or whatever it is. Um, I haven't taken his coaching program. This was just him describing how I worked. And then there's the academic content, which is kind of like your course and it's, you're teaching you what you need to know. And then you take the same assessment again afterwards to sort of get a sense of what the Delta is like, how effective was that training? How much did you uh -huh. sort of incorporate into your way of thinking about things? So again, it's the same assessment, uh, but it's done to sort of gauge progress. And then depending on how you do on the assessment, if you do well enough, it's like, great, move on to the next segment of the content. But if you don't, you're going to get on a call with one of our coaches and work through some of, uh, some of the mistakes you made or get some questions answered or, or, you know, get some live help under, 
making the kind of progress that that you need to make. I and love that. Yeah, for me, it was just kind of a revolutionary idea of like, okay, that's how you take something which is like a static piece of uh, content, these videos, and you make them, you make it so that uh, people get the learning experience they need. They get the level of support that they need. Not just, there's not just one path. So that's, that's what I did. That's, I mean, that's exactly how I've got my, um, my course set up. There's two tracks. There's a, uh, academic track, which has an assessment before and after most modules, not every module, uh, but the, the more critical ones or the ones where this makes sense to do it this way. And if you get, uh, below a certain score, on the uh, the second assessment, the first one is just to gauge where you are. But the second time you take that assessment, then it's like here's a Calendly link. Go schedule a 15 minute call with Philip to, you know, work through this. So um, wow. wait, wait. Let me yeah. just ask. Kind of like, I guess we'll talk in a little bit about platforms and so forth. So like your the answer. So so someone takes this quiz. I guess it's a multiple choice quiz of some sort. Yes. And Okay, and so when they enter their answer, if their answer is wrong, instead of just saying, you're wrong, here's the right answer, you say, well, you're wrong, um, let's talk about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly I what I do. I love it. I love it. So I have this time block. Uh, you know, I fully disclose this on the sales page. I'm like, uh, I do these lightning coaching calls from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Pacific on Wednesdays. So if that doesn't work for you, maybe don't sign up for this course because you'll be missing out on one of the key features. And uh, yeah, so th that's basically how I do it. And then I've got the practical track, which is where it's stuff like, um, you know, go to this worksheet, do this, this thing on this worksheet. So that's why it's not just me, you know, that's why the challenge of building this course for me, uh, not to be all like whiny here, but <laughs> the challenge of building this is not just, I'm going to sit down and record me talking through a slide deck. It's, it's much more, there's, there's a lot more moving parts to it. But at the same time, I, I really did have this goal of making it as simple as possible so that it moved out of the world of planning and into the world of existing and being something that I could sell. Right, but it also means, I mean, because I've been thinking about how can I do any sorts of exercises. I mean, I'll do the exercise, you know, I'll give them the question, and then I'll show them how to solve it. And truth be told, that's, as from my perspective, that's one of the most important things I do in my courses, which is I solve the exercises in front of them, showing them not just what the answer is, but how to get there. Mm -hmm. um, but there's clearly no way, or no way that, uh, no, no way that's a, a reasonable time, budget, and so forth to, uh, to, to get to do that myself. So, um, and, and, and I think you have the same problem I did, which is that there's so many little, uh, judgment calls and different ways to do things. Uh, on the one hand, it, to have to make these assessments be multiple choice felt like almost like a disappointment, right? Like it was uh, like, if I, if I'm speaking real time with somebody, we can have such a more nuanced, uh, D discussion about these things as I'm sure you could as well. Like it, I don't know if right. these exercises are the kind where there's only one right answer, but I doubt it. I mean, knowing, no, what, no, knowing no. what little I know about Python, there's 50 different ways to do everything in Python. <laughs> so um, it, it felt like, Oh, I hate to have to try to make this um, 
so uh, I don't even know if this expression is PC anymore, but black and white, you know, like just so either or so binary. But yet I had to do that to really kind of make it work in this in this approach. But also I felt like I was um, doing the right thing by having some personal uh, access to me like that. That kind of compensated for that. And I, I mean, I can easily say, right, the, the answer to the multiple choice question could be, yes, I got it exactly right. No, I didn't get it right at all. I'd like to talk about it. Or I got it you know, right enough. I'm ready to move on. Yeah, right? or, and I, can, I can structure it that way. Or, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Or, or, or Philip, you just didn't write this question very clearly, which, you know, when you get oh, into yeah. instructional design, like that's a whole thing of like writing good test questions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I had that. So, so I've, I've been teaching this non-programmers course uh, uh, yesterday and two days ago when we were recording. That's the first two days of it, and um, and definitely there were one or two cases when I gave what I thought was a really clear explanation of what I want, and I, you know, I say, okay, everyone's done, great, let's go over the answer. And what I come up with is so completely different than what they thought. Um, it's clear that I, I flubbed it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm learning that too. I'm getting some very nicely uh, worded feedback about some of my question wording. <laughs> uh, delivery platform was another question I had to, had to tackle. And, and I think I, I am, I'm just going to be, you know, completely honest here that I'm not sure that I, I, I may have made a mistake and I won't know yet. I won't know the consequences of what I've decided to do. Here's what I decided to do. I wanted this course, I just very badly wanted it to be um, more than just you go here and log in and good luck, buddy, uh, you know, <laughs> which to me felt like the sort of what I knew of the LMS experience. I think there are LMS for the folks at home is a learning management system. It's, it's basically a content management system for educational content, and it's got some stuff specific to that world like you know, scoring tests and uh, tracking people's progress through a bunch of, you know, pieces of content and stuff like that. Right. Right. I, I think I may have probably dismissed that option uh, perhaps prematurely or perhaps just without really investigating it because I was, I did have a little bit of shiny object syndrome. I, I, I knew that I could, uh, because Brendan Dunn has done this with one of his free email courses I knew that Drip would get and Drip's workflow uh, capability would give me the ability to deliver this course over email in a sort of res dynamic, responsive fashion. So it could uh, people could say when they're ready for the next piece of content, and that would be emailed. And if they did not say that within a certain period of time, a number of days, I knew I could send out a reminder. And so that's where I maybe got a little bit of shiny object syndrome. I am not throwing drip under the bus here. I'm just saying, I'm not sure. I don't know how it's going to scale. I don't know how it's going to work. I think it's working. Okay. Again, I've got people in the first module going through it. No one's complained about that aspect of the course. No one's complained about the course at all. Just they've given nice points of feedback on specific things. Um, I just, I just don't know how that's going to work. And it, and it did, I, I definitely underestimated the workload and the complexity of what it would take to set up drip in this way it's you know it's got all the functionality i need but it turned into kind of a, a yak shaving exercise to get the first module shipped 
Yeah, I can only imagine. So, yeah, that's something where I feel like I have less, uh, you know, specific. So it's, it's something you have to think about, right? So you basically built your own, like you built your own drip-based yeah. LMS. Yeah. But it also means then that you're, so you're not delivering, con- it's not like someone goes to a website and says, oh, I'm going to look at lesson three or lesson five or whatever. They go, to, they, they're getting via email, um, sort of the next lesson. And part basically, of that email is like, well, like, they go to a YouTube video. I mean, here's the thing. The email does point them to a website with, you know, a mm-hmm. page that's not indexed. It's, I mean, it's also not password protected because who cares at this point? I'm just trying this out or just getting this started. Um, it just says, you know, go to this page and then there will be a video embedded on the page or, um, or a quiz and embedded on the page or what have you. So I really, it's not all delivered within email because you can't, at least not to my knowledge, watch a video within your email client. Right. So it kind of, it's sort of like the, the, the drip part is sort of the instructor who's saying, okay, now go do this. Tell me when you're done. Okay, here's the next thing. I definitely wanted, I mean, one of the reasons I did this, it's not all shiny object syndrome. <laughs> one of the reasons I did this is I wanted to avoid people uh, dropping into an LMS and just kind of seeing the the 10,000 foot view of the entire course and then going through and feeling like they could cherry pick this part versus that part. I really did think that structuring it so that it was a linear one little piece at a time kind of experience would be better for people. Mm-hmm. Now I am sure that there's LMSs who will let you recreate that within an LMS so that you don't, people can't just kind of cherry pick the content or meander through it willy nilly. But, uh, that's where the shiny object object syndrome came in as I was like, well, I can do this better with drip. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've, um, I mean, I signed up for teachable, which I think Brennan actually used also for a while. I think he's moved away from that onto something that's based on WordPress. Um, but for now teachable looks like it'll offer what I need and the price seemed kind of attractive and we'll see. I'm sure that once I start uploading to them, I'll get a little frustrated at the same time. They take care of a lot of the stuff, right? They take care of the hosting. They take care of the videos. They take care of the payment. And um, I, I feel like I just want to sort of get up and running. And they also seem, and maybe this is just good marketing on their part, they seem actually like they want you to succeed in teaching, um, right? This, this, if, if, if you succeed, then they succeed. And so every week they send out yet another, which I almost never read, by the way, their newsletter saying, Oh, look, another person has made a lot of money and here's what they did and here were their <laughs> techniques for doing it. And I'm <laughs> right. sure that if I were to look through all those techniques, I'd actually get a lot of really good ideas for what to do. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah. That, that's the other, yeah, Teachable is, I think the one that was recommended to me is, you know, kind of the short list of good LMSs. So I'm sure that they're doing something right. Um, and again, I just, I know that some months from now I may be regretting <laughs> building a uh, building my own or maybe not maybe it'll be very sort of uh perfect for for what my what i'm trying to help people do i don't know right right um so if we've covered like you know the structure of it and we've covered to some degree the platform i know there's some wordpress based platforms do, do you know anything about them um no no okay it was, it was worth asking at least um <laughs> Okay, 
So, so now you're going to have this one course, and then do you plan to have other courses after that? Because I, I definitely do. Like, I definitely see this as like an experiment in seeing what I can do, both pedagogically and business-wise. And if it succeeds, then you know, fantastic. The the only other idea I have that I, I could see maybe it being beneficial to cast it as a course is uh, something on on how to how to do lead generation. But I'm just, that's so far over the horizon. <laughs> I have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm much, I, I mean, honestly, much more interested in the idea of uh, making this course better, like far better than it uh, is right now. So I, I feel like it's kind of like what I've done with my book. Um, it's the book's now really in the second major version and and there's a third major version that i'm starting to plan in my mind so i don't know i just uh i have friends who are really great at cultivating this kind of um what's the right word it's just this sort of family of products and you know it's a big family and that works for them i i feel like for me i don't know two courses is about probably where I'm going to max out, <laughs> but no, I, I definitely can see. Kind of work. Yeah. I can see for you. Uh, it's, it just makes a lot of sense to, cause there's just, you've got so much teaching experience. You can't, you, you would not want to cram it all into one course. I don't think it need, needs to be factored across multiple courses. Right. No, definitely. And, and like the, the more I teach, the more things I'm learning and putting together courses in. So the more things I want to share and teach, um, and you mentioned, by the way, before, like teaching from a live audience gives you good feedback. <coughs> um, I've often told people that if you can't get in front of an audience to get their feedback, at least do it as a webinar or something online, like give it away for free and you will get great feedback. Also, some audiences are just better than others at telling you what they think. Right. What I, I think I've said before that when I teach in Israel, people do not hold back. Right. The culture is one of yeah. um, you know, <laughs> stick it to the man. Yeah. Uh, and so that actually it hurts mm -hmm. to get that sort of feedback. Mm -hmm. But it's so, so valuable yeah. as opposed to when I'm in China, where the culture is one of, oh, well, we wouldn't want to disrespect the teacher. Right. right? So I'll never find out if they dislike it until it's too late. Right. Right. Um, so so like my data science and machine learning course, I've now taught it, I guess, about oh, let's say eight times now, nine times. And the first bunch were all in Israel. I've taught it now uh, once online and once with people in Europe. And so next month I'm finally teaching for the first time in China. And I feel like I, it's, it's now ready. Like it's, it's ready for that market where I will not get, you know, honest feedback. And yet I think it'll still be okay. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, there's, that's one of the great things that comes out of teaching live is the feedback. If it's possible to see the sort of looks in people's eyes, that's super helpful. Um, and, but there's also this, as you kind of move from, okay, I feel like I want to teach this. I think I want to teach this to creating a course. I think there's this, there's so much more learning that could be done about, okay, what's a good analogy or what's an effective exercise. So that's less verbal feedback from 
from students and more just kind of trying it and seeing what works. I think mm-hmm. there's some people who are born teachers and they just have a knack for it. But I think there's a lot of people who can really create great value by teaching, but they need a little bit of uh, you know, sort of road testing for their content before it's ready. So I think that's the other value of teaching it uh, is just until you've had to explain something that you may think you understand it, but until you've had to explain it to somebody uh, successfully, it's, you may not really understand it as much as you need to. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask about two other things and then I mean, I, well, where are we, I don't know how much time we're, we're at at this point. So the first thing is sort of the process, like what are you planning in terms of the process for? How will people find out about your course? How will they, you know, get maybe a teaser? How will they sign up? Is it going to be, I guess with Drip, it's going to be hundred percent automated for you. It'll be zero touch. So I want to talk about that because I'm sort of curious and thinking about what I'm going to do for that. And the second thing is pricing. Mm. So let's talk about like the onboarding stuff. Um, I know there are courses that they basically run every Monday, right? So if you sign up during the week, it says, oh, I'm so glad that you joined us. And, you know, we're going to be starting on Monday and Monday morning, you get emails saying, come join us. And there are others where you just sort of go and wherever you, you know, you sign up and now you can go access the videos, go for it. And there are yet others where, right, like there's some interactive components. So what, what do you, so how, how, how are you planning to attack that? Well, I mean, I have a lot of biases about how to do this. I, um, I definitely have seen those that I think they would might be called evergreen courses where it's, yeah, there's this kind of, um, scarcity that that's artificial because you can only sign up for the course during a certain window of time. And to me, that's artificial scarcity because unless there's something I don't know about how that's done, I mean, maybe it does have to synchronize with a a sort of schedule of live events or something like that. But if it's done purely to create a deadline that's just artificial in in any way you could think about it, then I, I don't like that. It just, it doesn't seem like, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I, I, now, I do do that in, con, in conjunction with discounts. So um, I'm answering your question less from the functional perspective and more from the marketing perspective. Like, you, you can sell it any way you want to. But with, um, like with my book, one thing that has uh, sustainably increased sales is to offer a, a, a time-limited discount which I do using a combination of email marketing automation using drip and this uh, piece of this SAS called a deadline funnel. So I feel like that's a little more legitimate because all I'm saying is here's a discount. Here's a, a time limit by which you need to use it or the discount goes away. I'm not like artificially limiting the availability of the product itself and maybe it's, maybe this difference is all in my head. I don't know. But to me, it feels different to say, here's a time-limited discount versus here's a fake deadline for enrolling for this course at full price. Um, but is this, is this is the sense of your mailing list, is it? Or maybe it is. Oh, well, yeah, I do. I sell everything through my mailing list. I, I made the decision a year ago that I was going to try that, that I was going to uh, basically just all of my marketing would be about building a relationship with people via my email list and, and using that as a way to introduce products, to build a relationship and to sell things. And so I do it all through my email list. I have, 
at some point I may need to expand beyond that. But right now I have like zero interest in any other approach because for me, this approach has been so fun and so successful, I think, um, that I just, why try anything else as long as it's working? So anyway, I, right now what will happen is people will join my mailing list the same way they do. They'll be uh, given a chance to buy the positioning manual at a discount. And then at some point later, they'll be given a chance to buy this course, I think, at a discount. And I'll just sort of using some email automation, I'll launch the course to people who have not bought it. I'm not quite sure how yet. I, I don't know what will be the criteria that sort of triggers that that launch, but it'll just be a two week launch, just like I did with the presale uh, with a probably a, a 30% discount if you buy by the end of the two weeks. And if you don't buy, then you can buy at any time, just go here whenever you're ready, kind of a thing. Hmm. So for me, that's simple enough that it, I think it could be sustainable. And I think I could do it without, you know, breaking the rest of the email automation that I have set up. I mean, my, my daily emails to my list are 100% not automated. They're just broadcasts that are sent out and written maybe a couple of days in advance, but they're just, uh, th that's not automation. So anyway, uh, there's way more sophisticated ways to do this stuff, but that's how I will tackle it at first for version one. Right, right. I mean, I guess I'm also playing, well, actually, I don't know. I mean, I have my mailing list. I'm going to sell mainly to them. But I'm also going to experiment with you know, other people online. But I think it's going to be very much the, okay, you paid for it. Now, now you have access to it sort of thing. Even though I'll probably have you know, some, some, some email stuff going on there as well with automation. Mm -hmm. How I can get the hooks to go between the two is an interesting question. I'd like to think that you know, once you're past, like, let's, say, let's say you get through, well, maybe even Teachable will allow me to send mail or integrate with Drip or say, okay, when someone hits this point, then we'll send some sort of hook to send them an email and say, hey, I'm glad you're getting this far. Tell me how you're doing or have you considered this? Or even just like, you know, I guess now that I think about it, I can even give them sort of extra tips. Like, hey, I see that you just got through lesson three about dictionaries. Here's this cool thing. And my experience is that when people get email like that, they are convinced that I sat down and wrote to them right that very moment. Right, uh, or at right. least has that feeling. Right. So, okay, I'm beginning to see how you can sort of play with this and give it a more interactive feel. I'll also tell you another thing that I saw interactively. I took, um, I'm blanking on his name now, Brian, someone or others, uh, the Get 10,000 Subscribers course, which I did maybe the first 10, 15% of it. Because I just didn't feel like the, the course spoke to the sorts of lists I was building uh, and my personality as well. But mm -hmm. I thought the course was designed brilliantly mm. in many ways. And one of the things he did was at the end of every exercise, he'd say, okay, you did this exercise, great post it to our private Facebook list or post it to our private Slack channel. And what you had then was a lot of students interacting with each other, sharing their ideas and sharing their success stories that built up over time. Wow, um, nice. And that was then zero touch from the course designers. And it gave you a sense of, wow, there are other people doing this too. I'm not the only crazy one. Right. Um, it was a nice way to build a community. I, I thought that was very, very clever. And he also had lots of little videos after it. So like, you would, get, you would answer a question. He'd say, have a video saying, oh, that's great. Thanks so much. And it was cheesy and corny, but you know what? It, it worked. Nice. Um, so the other question I, I had was pricing. And this is probably like impossible to pin down in a short conversation. But I'll 
make a stab at it anyway, because I have no idea how much to charge, except that it'll probably be comparable to participating in my course in person, which is, you know, a few hundred dollars at least. Mm. Um, I don't that's, know. That sounds about right. Next. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't oh, know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, that's something where I know that, uh, like, <laughs> when I, when I uh, first put uh, the positioning manual up for sale, the price was, I th- I'm going to say $19.00. I'm pretty sure was my, the first price I sold it at. And it's just, uh, I think we underestimate the value of, well, I mean, here's, here's how it works for me. You sort of underestimate the potential value. Like books have an amazing return on investment, like the the right book at the right time for the right person, because the, you know, what you pay for the book versus what you might pay for coaching or going to some training event or, all that stuff costs more money, which reduces the return on investment if it's the same RO, if it's the same outcome. So like buying a $20 business book and getting some new ideas about uh, how to run your business and that just radically transforms things, th- that's an amazing ROI. So I feel like even going up to three, $400 for a course is not that big of a stretch if it produces significant ROI. And I, I just am convinced that uh, for the right person at the right time, narrowing down your, your focus will do that. But so, but I think at first it's easy to not really estimate the ROI correctly. And then the other thing that I think I, I would certainly do is kind of think in terms of a worst case scenario and be like, well, um, I should price my book for the person who doesn't get anything from it because everything goes wrong. They buy it and they don't read it because, you know, some, their kid gets sick or something and they get distracted or they buy it and they try to implement it, but you know, they're missing that one crucial piece and it doesn't quite work. So I would think in terms of that worst case scenario and I would pretend like I'm pricing the book for that person, which is the exact opposite of how you should price it. You should price it for the person who is going to apply the information and get results from it. Refund policy is for the other people, the people who don't get anything from it. That's what the refund policy is for. But Anyway, I kind of had this uh, screwed up way of thinking about it, which I think caused me to underprice at first. So that's all I know about pricing. Really, it's um, it's sort of emotionally challenging stuff. But uh, what, what do you think? You, you're going to price it at yeah. a couple hundred I, I, bucks? I, I, look, I mean, I mean, yeah, probably. Because think about it. Look, if you what's what's the current price of your book again now? It depends on which tier you buy. The cheapest one you can buy is $49, and then the next one up is $99. And, and the vast majority of people buy the $99 version. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the, the course is going to be even more valuable than that. This is like you can think of it as an extra high tier because it's not only giving you the material, but it's sort of more interactive and walking you through it. So, right, uh, I, I would say it's it's you know probably a few hundred dollars worth because someone could just get the book and get – a fair amount of value, but they're going to work extra hard and make more mistakes. Mm-hmm. So they're like trading off time for money, I guess. Yep. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it works or, or, you know, paying for that extra structure and support uh, that has real value. Right. I mean, I look, I know at least in the U S it's typical to charge $300 a person per day of a course. So if I'm really giving them a four day course, or the equivalent thereof, because it'll take less time, you know, on video. Because I'm not, I'm not going to sit around waiting. Go, go do the exercise now. 
I'll, I'll, I'll sit here twiddling my thumbs on video and I'll check in on you in 20 minutes, right? So clearly it's going to be shorter than that. Yeah. But I can see I can see charging then something around you know six hundred eight hundred even $1,000 for it. Yeah. Um, that said, I probably want to ratchet it up over time as I get more confident, as I see the material is good and as it improves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always torn between, well, I want to have some sales. Um, and I don't want to tick people off or, or scare them. On the, con- you know, on the other hand, you know, there's always the Patrick McKenzie, charge more, you must charge more. Right. Um, and knowing that, well, like this course has been very successful, a lot of large companies, a lot of engineers. So there are people out there who would benefit and they, they'd probably pay $1,200 for it. Right. How many? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Right. There's a sort of um, I think it depends on who you're selling to. But for different audiences, there, there are these sort of mental. Uh, not really a price ceiling, but more like a break point of, OK, beyond uh, ninety nine dollars. We're in a different category here. I know for me personally, I'll sort of compare what, what else could I get for, you know, what else could I buy with ninety nine dollars? Anyway, well, that's um, the other thing, right? And I know that I have competition online, right? There are plenty of online Python courses, some of which are free, um, and some of which are just you know twenty dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars on Udemy or Coursera. And people are going to say, well, why why should I take your course when I could you know pay lot pay a lot less for someone else's? I know. And they might be right. At True. the same time, yeah, probably a lot of the people buying are people who you know read my material and sort of like my style. That's the thing. Um, that, that's what I love about selling to to my email list is like, well, there's, yeah, there may, maybe there are other books on positioning. Uh, I, I mean, actually, not really <laughs> like mine, but sure, there's other other marketing books you could pay attention to. Um, but there's only one person who's been showing up in your email box the way I have, and and I'm the guy with that book. So, I think you do gain an advantage when you uh, sell really in the right way through email. I also, since I mentioned him already, I seem to remember Patrick McKenzie also mentioning that you should charge. He was talking about SASs, but it's probably true to some degree with courses as well. Um, charge something just under what people need to get permission for in order to put on a company credit card. That's so true. so he, yeah. would, he would say like middle managers can charge up to $500 a month, no questions asked. Right. Um, so charge five hundred dollars, and then people will be like, "Yeah, I'll I'll do that," because the company will just cover it. I think that's that's true. And if you sell something that's above that price point, because yeah, like uh, like I, I work with some folks in my mentoring program who are in the e-learning space, and so they're working on a uh, like a workshop that's well above that five hundred dollar point. I feel like the thing you need to be prepared to do is to educate your your customer on how to get approval for a sort of non-standard thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, that's a whole nother discussion on productized services. Probably should wrap up pretty soon. We're at about an hour and five minutes here. Think of the value of how much audio they're getting for their money. I, I know it's a great uh, ROI. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, let me just let me just ask one, one more question on this, and, and mm-hmm. this is also probably opening a whole kettle can of worms, which is maybe the pricing is better not done as a you buy the course, but as a you have access to it for a monthly fee. Oh, interesting. I guess that would incentivize rapid completion, would it not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Maybe that's maybe that's not what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's that's an interesting question. I've, I'm trying to think if I've ever heard. 
of a course sold on basically you're talking about like a subscription pricing model, right? Right. Yeah. That's a new one. I've never heard of that. Maybe because it's a bad idea. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd certainly hope if someone's uh, doing that successfully that they, they let us know about it. Right. Okay. Okay. We should probably uh, wrap up, but um, I've, I've got all sorts of ideas. I'm hopefully going to put into practice in the next few weeks and then um, see, see where it goes from there. And you say that you pre-sold your course. So maybe I'll follow in your footsteps and try that as well. I did. It was not a flop. <laughs> wow. Wow. And now you feel probably the pressure to, uh, to actually put it out there. Oh boy. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they did, of course they deserve that. And I, of course I would want to do that anyway, but it's nice to have that extra little incentive of like, um, just imagining people kind of drumming their fingers on the tabletop saying, when is this guy going to deliver the next module? Cause I've had, I've had people say, okay, I'm ready to move on to the next module, which I take as a really good sign. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of, it's a, it's a productive sort of pressure. Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Comp. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. Okay, Phil, uh, you have anything in terms of picks for us this week? Two picks. Uh, I mentioned this uh, book by Jim Camp. Jim Camp wrote two books uh, on negotiating and I, I just can't praise them enough because of how well they integrate with what I think is a very productive mindset for marketing which is that you're not out there to try to make the most sales. You're out there to attract the right kind of people and provide them value that they don't wish, they, they don't have buyer's regret about. I think this applies to services and also the kind of products we're talking about here. So I mentioned there's two books. One, you'll be tempted to buy it if you're like me because it's available in Kindle, but that is not the book you should buy by Jim Camp. It's unfortunately not as good. I think, I, I haven't looked at publication dates, so but it really feels like his first attempt. And then the second book feels like a more refined uh, version thereof. So the second book, the one I think you should get is called No, The Only Negotiating System You Need for Work and Home. Huh. The, the title is kind of off-putting because it, it kind of makes you think that isn't the point of negotiation to reach an agreement and get a yes. But he, he reveals, I think, very, very telling, very accurately how that mindset will lead to all kinds of negative byproducts like um, beating yourself up on price and making compromises that you'll regret later. And uh, anyway, uh, if you buy this book, you have to get it a paperback version, which I know for a lot of people is going to be just a giant pain. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And then um, <clears throat> I don't know if this has been picked before, but uh, Josh Earl, who's been on the show to talk about email marketing previously has this uh, great a uh, little $49 product that I think is worth far more than that. I think you could easily charge three, $400 for it and it would be worth every penny. It's called behind the scenes of a six figure email course. And uh, it's a webinar that he did where he talked about how he structured a, an email course 
specifically to help sell a product that it was associated with. And just the whole thing's great. If you are interested in email marketing and you use it in any way to sell low price services or a product, I, I think this, this course will help you take that email, help take your email marketing to the next level. I'll link that to that also in the show notes. Those are my picks, Reuben. How about you? Wow. You got any? That's really cool. So I've been sort of thinking out, I I'm, uh, don't have any amazing picks, but I will give a, a practical banal one, uh, which is last week I showed up to teach and I was in Belgium and I don't speak Belgish. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, and I was like, I had a cold and I was like, well, I don't really know where there's a pharmacy and then I have to deal with all things. So luckily I always pack with me cold medicine, like, you know, sort of the all, uh, you know, get rid of fever and stuffy nose and cough and so forth medicine. And I'm not a big fan of cold, cold medicine, at least in theory. But in practice, when you have to actually like get up in the morning and teach or work, um, it does wonders. And so having it in my bag and not even have to worry about like, where do I go to pharmacy and when do they open? Because by the way, everything in Belgium seems to open late and close early. It's really quite shocking that <laughs> it's considered a modern economy, but it is. Maybe it's a civilized economy rather than a modern one. Maybe we <laughs> that way. Um, in any event, so having the cold medicine totally, totally saved me. And so that's the sort of thing that I'm very glad that I have in my bag um, so that when I'm traveling, I can just sort of keep going um, and, and not have to worry about uh, canceling or sounding too incredibly wretched in front of my students. So definitely get some cold medicine. It lasts for like a year or two until the expiration date. And since my sister, who's a doctor, does not listen to the show, and you can probably use it after the expiration date anyway, folks. Um, <laughs> uh, but not too much, not too much. And if, if something bad happens to you, don't sue. Um, we'll, we'll just refund your money for this episode. <laughs> anyway, um, so I think that brings us to a close. Thank you all for listening. Philip, thanks for the great discussion as usual. Mm -hmm. And we'll be back next week. I think Jonathan will be back as well. And um, next week we have a guest, I believe, as well. So we will talk to you all next week. Adios. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>